welcome to the Guardians of the Flame podcast, everyone. Um, this is our uh, kind of latest episode that we're doing uh, today. It's a very rainy Irish, um, what are we, Friday afternoon, just coming up to Christmas, um, where we are right now. And today, I'm really delighted to be interviewing a, a friend of mine who's um, just a wonderful person, um, Antoinette Moshimimana, and she recently married uh, Eve uh, and in Rwanda, and then they are here at the moment in Northern Ireland. Uh, they've been here for three months, and they're about to go to Lebanon. And uh, I, I'm going to just take a little while to really hear her story. The vision of these podcasts, the vision of the documentary we made, is really highlighting um, heroic figures who show us what reconciliation can look like. And um, but also looking at some of the darker stories of where um, sectarian violence and also even religion has com combined to kind of uh, see real horrible uh, events occur in the world. Um, so looking both at the heroes and also the uh, the reason those heroes existed, and of course the, the Rwandan genocide uh, is, I think, in my forty three years on Earth, is probably the simply. The, the single biggest tragedy that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Uh, I was fortunate to go there for the first time in 2005 uh, and, and to go to Burundi, the neighboring country. Uh, and of course in Rwanda, we'll hear from Antoinette now, but I mean, in 1994, nearly a million people were killed in 100 days. Uh, Bill Clinton was the American president at the time. He says, looking back on his eight years uh, in as president, it was the, his the biggest mistake he, that he regrets was his inaction when their genocide was happening. Um, and of course, you know, we should look, we should walk forward into the future, but also looking back. Um, so we learn the lessons from the past. And so hopefully in this episode, by just talking to Antoinette, it just helps us all to refresh that these are not fairy tales. This is not some kind of distant memory. This is a real, these are real events that happened very recently and they could happen again and, and all over the world and we must be vigilant, we must be aware and we must learn the lessons that we can from what happened there. And of course the bigger, uh, I don't know if it's a bigger, but the a real deep underlying message in the life of Antoinette is her response of forgiveness and, and journey towards reconciliation that she really undertook um, in her life. And that's a big reason of part, partly why she's here in Northern Ireland is sharing her story. Yesterday she was sharing it with 120 school children. Um, and she's, she's written a book called This Is My Story. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to buy that book, you can uh, contact me and I'll find a way that you can do that. So anyway, okay, so let's get started on the podcast. So a big welcome, Antoinette. Thank you so much for welcoming me. Yeah, yeah. So let's quickly go back to um, the events. We won't take a long time, but maybe you could just quickly sketch what happened in 1994 politically and what was it? I mean, you were only 12 years old, was it? Yes, yeah. 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 So maybe even you can remember some of the events leading up until hmm. when the genocide started. I will go back a little bit in 1990. Uh, when uh, in Rwanda was not safe place completely. I remember I was in uh, primary four, five at that time, and that's when the party of the politics started to really get crazy. And we had the the MRND, which was the the main party uh, of the country at that time, and they were telling everyone that you know they were saying the Tutsis are cockroach, the Tutsi are snakes, and I remember being a child, but being called a snake and a cockroach. And those messages that were being spoken on the radio were being spoken on the TV by the leaders of the country. They created hatred in 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 us as young generation. But I also think that it didn't start in 1990, which led into 1994. It did start before then, in 50s, 
uh, I hear the stories of, you know, either my uncles who we never, I never met, but I hear my father and I had my auntie saying about him because they lost him. But he was gone as a refugee in Uganda and we have, I have never met him and we haven't met him even now. So he probably is dead. I don't know. Mm. And we had many Rwandans that grew up in exile in, in Burundi. They grew up in Uganda. They grew up in, in Congo. So the conflict started not in 1990. It didn't start then. Yeah. It goes way back. And your husband, Eve, even... Like he grew up in Burundi, right? Because, yes. And it was his grandparents that fled Rwanda in the late 50s. In 50s, 59, his grandparents left Rwanda and his parents grew up in, in Burundi. Mm. And he was born in Burundi in 80 and 82. So he was born in Burundi and he was called refugees and mm. all these words that are being called when you are not in the country that is your own. So we had many stories of the Rwandans who grew up in the countries that, you know, in Uganda, the time they were running away from Rwanda, it was the time of Idi Amin mm. when it was really bad situation because they were fighting as well. So the whole world of the conflict that led into 1994 really started way back. And my understanding even now is that no one took their place. Mm. No one really passed on to the next generation a good principles and legacy that will protect the nation that led into 1994. Yeah, so 1994 was the culmination really of, well, it was many decades, but there had been serious, a series of episodes of genocide up until that time. Yes, it, it happened because as something else also I see in terms of Rwanda is a Christian nation. And uh, I hear the stories in when I was in class that if, if you could run away in 50s and 60s and go into the church building, you will have probably been safe. And in 50s was, was okay. If you could run from your village and get there, you will be safe. But in 1994, I think some people who are older, not us, they probably still had that image. And um, they did run into the churches. Uh, when I say church, the building. And some of the building of the church in Rwanda at the moment, they are called, you know, genocide memorials because they, they ran there and they were killed and finished. Mm. So, um, yeah, it, it was really hard for 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 a child for me to to be in, in life of genocide i remember when he started with the president or who was the president at that time habiarimana the the plane was short you just knew that you know now is the time they started immediately when his plane was short you could hear the news on the radio wow. and immediately they started killing people and there was no safety. You will run away, but every single road you go to, there was a roadblock, and you will be asked your identity card that had your tribal in, and if you had a Tutsi uh, identity card, you will be killed immediately. You will probably not even feel you know, comfortable to show it mm. because you knew what that meant. Um, so it was... For me, it was the time that I really was struggling to find out where what is happening. As much as I could see people are being killed, I was, you know, I was terrified and just waiting to be dead anytime mm. uh, in those days. Mm. Yeah. So, can you maybe um, tell us? Uh, it must be hard for you, I know, but uh, I think the power of story is so important, you know, and that this really did happen to people. And, um, can you tell us, tell me, uh, what was it like for you then, uh, in the days leading up to the genocide and then, and then during that time, like what happened in your life? The days leading to genocide was the day of really unsure and stirring fear and insecurity within a little child uh, that I was at that time. And I remember one day my father coming back from work and he was beaten. 
and uh, he did say, I remember he was sharing that all the money he has was taken from him because he was beaten by the, the other party that, you know, mm-hmm. because he was not part of it. And so seeing my father with his face swollen and beaten and, and blood on him and he said people who beated him are the, our neighbors, that people I knew. So it was scary. And every little girl, not only every child, your father, your parents are your heroes. So in my mind at that time, I remember thinking if it happened to my dad, I, I was scared to go outside. And that was, you know, in 1992, 93. Um, so it just led into 1994. For me, immediately when the, the plane of the president was shot, I remember hearing from our parents, you know, don't hide it together. Because if they find you all together with my, you know, I had, I had three brothers, they will kill you all. So my initial reaction was to hiding by myself mm. alone. So if they kill me, I will be killed myself and hopefully my brothers will be escaped or they will not be killed. Okay. And then when the the genocide started, it must have been terrifying and you had to flee and it was three months really. Of... It was three months of staying outside in the bush it was uh, three months of hiding in the pit latrine um it was three months of just not having food three months of having one clothes all all those three months i don't remember changing or having another outfit the rain will rain on me and when the sun comes out it will get dry one of the the, the story maybe i could share it will be uh, the time um, I was hiding in this Petra train and behind this small Petra train that was full, I was not being used. Um, I could hear the men outside uh, sitting in what used to be a football playground and they will be saying the names of people they have killed. They will be saying the women they have raped and I was terrified thinking I am going to be the next and if they cut they come in and or if they find me I will be completely dead. So it's those moments that when I reflect back and I remember I was just, you know, scared. I was by myself alone and you know it was not the best place to be. I was dead emotionally before they could actually maybe get into me. Mm. Wow. Um, after the genocide happens, you lost your family members. Who did you lose in the genocide? Um, uh, my mom was killed um, on the day I was born, on my birthday. On your birthday, um, My two brothers were killed. And um, the third, uh, he was one of them that I saw was six years old at that time. And I remember seeing him when um, the the bullet, like they threw the the, the grenade, and the bullet was mm. caught him on his head, mm. and he was grasping his last breath mm. and asking uh, water. And I think I could not, I didn't have anything to give to him. So that's one of the image of my, seeing my my youngest my youngest brother being dead like dying without even being able to help was really painful and um yeah i still remember it even up to this day our youngest who was 2 years at the time he they took him together with other children in the village uh, where my mom was and they hide them so different men hide about like 50 children and when the killer saw them, they burnt all the kids. Mm. They just threw the uh, paraffin on them and they burnt all of them. So my grandparents, I don't have any grandparents even now because all of them were killed. My aunties. So it's about 80 extended family members that were killed okay. in just a period of 100 days. Uh-huh. I remember uh, when I was there in 2005, and of course I'd heard about the genocide, 
Um, I don't think I was prepared for how beautiful Rwanda was um, and how beautiful the people were, you know, and you think in, in the West, um, I don't know, you hear the stories and, and you see, you think there must be some terrible place. But when I went, I remember thinking it's a beautiful place. It's so fertile, vegetables and fruit. But what was what struck me, I remember staying at a, at a youth, with, youth with a mission base there in Kigali that I know you've been at, is that everyone we met had lost loved ones in the in the genocide. And, um, and I think it was the first time I'd been around so many people that had been traumatized, but who were um, yet had such beauty about them. And there was a something, uh, you know, I don't look back and think Rwanda was a depressing place or filled with depressed people, but of course there are many people who have been traumatized. But I, I was struck by, I don't know, I think it was a country full of people who were mm. showing how you can conquer by... Um, conquer the pain of the past, not just by moving on, but by finding some kind of level of forgiveness. And mm. um, uh, so, I, your own story. How did you get over like what happened to you? And you know, I I think and believe in general, Rwandan people are resilient, mm. and um, they 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 really. Uh, they go for it if mm. I, I and that's why you could see many people were killed because once you tell like they were mobilized and did something bad and they did it um but in general Rwandan people are loving and hospitable but also resilient and one of the choice that um the Rwandan made after genocide is to say we want to be called Rwandan mm. we don't want to be identified by you know who to which you know the killer or the the survivor we want to be rwandans and we want to work together mm. to see this nation it's a real desire to have one nation now one and, nation and you um, don't really talk about hutu or tutsi now is that right for the uh uh teaching training purposes we do talk mm. about it uh mm. in different setup because it's 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 part of the history of Rwanda, but in general, the identity card, as I talked before, uh, before you will have identity card that divides us. You are Hutu or Tutsi, but at the moment we have identity card say we are Rwandan, and that was one of the things that really uh, like kicked off and people started to work towards being one. And of course, we had uh, a gift of having like uh, youth with a mission and other Christian organization that really worked well to see the healing and forgiveness and reconciliation teaching taking a place. Not only that, but also I think also the on the political government level and for the nation level, you had many people as you started saying the president of the United States, there are people who felt they they didn't help that time and they did want to do something. So Rwanda is developing or developed developed rapidly um, for the last 24 years and it looks different at the moment. And for me personally, what what helped me, which was um, 10 years after genocide, I I didn't only, I found my relationship with God really made a big change and a big difference. And I remember uh, joining Youth with a Mission where mm -hmm. we have a discipleship training school and I learned for the first time ever about forgiveness, which... And what it, was that like for you? What was that experience? I have to say the first week that I had about forgiveness, I wanted to run away. Uh, I felt I could not handle the the idea of really loving who I called my enemy because uh, I just played back in my mind going back 10 years ago or 10 years before then, and I knew those people. I could see their face. Some of them were the, um, the, the neighbors that I, I knew were there and were the place that I didn't want to go. So it was so hard. And 
I didn't immediately embrace the idea of forgiveness, but it has been a journey. Mm. Um, so we, one of the things that we do here in um, in uh, Ross Trevor and as we go to countries like Lebanon and and Rwanda and South Africa is we do take a, a, a kind of a short curriculum, a teaching called the Journey of Forgiveness. Um, and I think <clears throat> as we describe it for everyone, forgiveness is a choice. It's not something is shoved down, uh, put on people's backs. Um, but it's it's understood as a journey that we're all on at some place. Um, can you describe a little bit what was that journey like for you? Like what did it mean for you to begin to forgive and... Yeah, um, I think the forgiveness journey uh, we we do teach here, or we had even part of our teaching here in our DTS now, the first step is about acknowledging the heart and anger. So I think what happened for the first time that I ever had about forgiveness is to get attached with my feelings. Because... 10 years before I wasn't really leaving I wasn't I didn't want to feel angry because that rage of anger will lead me into revenge immediately and I didn't want to see who I called my enemy so the forgiveness journey for me starting by getting attached to my emotions and my feelings and really finding out that I was hurt by people I lost my, my, my family and it's okay to feel pain. It's okay to really feel the weight of being an orphan and living without no one to take care of me. And the journey continued and I was given um, another step, which is, you know, decide, choose. Do you want to choose to forgive people? One of the things that I love about this forgiveness journey is that the second step is about choosing to forgive before you think about your enemy. Uh, I think for me, if it was the other way around, probably will be very hard. So they said, you know, you, you are hurt, you feel you are angry and everything else, but would you like to extend forgiveness? Would you like to choose to forgive? And if I remember back, I, I went down in my... Uh, in our classroom, and we had time to reflect on the teachings. And I was writing down, I was like, you know, I can't really forgive. And it's not something that I will be able to do on my own. And realizing my inability to forgive on my own, I think that was the first step. And I remember saying, I can't, but God, I need your help. And I remember one of um, YWAM staff that we were together said, we will walk with you. So I, I think and I believe that I was able to make this choice by realizing I can't, but also by having someone walk alongside with me and say, yes, we are with you and we want to pray with you. And it wasn't long after that, you know, as the, the weeks went on in the discipleship training school, mm. I chose to forgive, mm. but it was not the. It was not easy. Not easy, and I've heard you also say that one of the things that helped you to make that step was an understanding that it was prime. You were actually releasing yourself more than just, you know, releasing someone else. Is that right? Kind of a, a yeah. sense that you were going to be free from bitterness. So somehow it was a positive step for you. Yes, because I found out even at that time that. I was I was not when you see me now or people who are around me no one will describe me as someone who is not joyful but um at that time uh unforgiveness it like stole my joy and the sense of ability to live um and I was not living into the fullness of life that really I think and I believe God intended me to have. So by really choosing to forgive was for me to step into into the destiny that God had for me to live the life of joyful and not being in the captive, you know, captivated with this anger. And I was really bitter because it was so hard to actually move forward. Um one of the story that I probably didn't share in, in those hundred days, I fell down in the, 
you know, running and I ha- I hit my back and um, I didn't get any treatment. Of course, it was in the, in the genocide, but I remember the not long after I chose to forgive, it was okay to stand straight. And is that uh, I did get medical. I have to be careful not to carry the heavy mm. stuff, mm. but I could feel the change in mm. even my in my back. In your physical body. Yeah, after you, after especially on my back. I think that's where the everything mm. was, if mm. I may describe it that way. Mm. So forgiveness didn't only release me and give me the fullness of life and the joy that I, I carry at this time, but also I was able to stand straight and, yeah, get physical. Yeah, that's healing. amazing. And uh, Antoinette, the, and I can just, by the way, testify that Antoinette is a beautiful, joyful, radiant person. <laughs> uh, and it's a pleasure having you with us. I think you bring a lot of beauty to this country and it's a, a gray December day. You mm. you bring African sunshine here. <laughs> so um, you talk about that journey of forgiveness in the second step, deciding to forgive. Can you just take us through those other steps for, y- um, for you? Yeah, I, I, the third step is about um, asking the, like, think, asking the bigger picture mm-hmm. of, you know, like be, what just putting yourself into someone else's shoes, what was happening to them that probably made them do what they have done, not to justify what or like what they have done to you, but also to just try to understand what was happening. Um, the, the, the f- I, I can't remember the fourth one, sorry, <laughs> on the stop, but I remember the fifth one, which is saying, you know, living from your best mm. self and living the legacy of love. Mm. And I think that's, for me, that's one of the things that really uh, pushes me and, and what helps me to do what I'm doing right now. Um, because, you know, when you go through this journey and, you thinking you 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 acknowledge that you are you are your your feelings you decided to forgive you ask the bigger picture and you want to leave a legacy of of love to in your life mm. when you are around yeah yeah so the i think the fourth step is allowing your feelings to change mm. um, which yeah. obviously takes time yeah yeah my my yes to allow my feelings to change i think it took uh, a long time and uh, until now sometimes I need to allow my feelings mm. to change towards mm. um, uh, people who killed my family and but I also think you know it's it's um it's a journey but also it's something I like it again with this forgiveness journey that it comes after you decide to forgive or you make a choice to forgive and other things it's a life long mm. leave because um coming back to 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 the time that i met uh, someone who killed my mom later i decided to forgive them before and when i met them at that time when my feelings of anger and everything comes i could choose to or allow mm. myself not to act mm. the way my feelings were at the moment because i have started the journey mm. of forgiveness yeah yeah yeah, thanks, Antoinette. That's um, really beautiful to hear you kind of describe that journey. And of course, I think when we do this journey of forgiveness, the point is not to simplify forgiveness into like five easy steps. Um, maybe in a way, part of it is to try to just to clarify what forgiveness can mean. Sometimes it can can feel like we're saying it's okay what they did. That's and that's not what forgiveness is. And also, sometimes forgiveness is people think it's a, it's a moment, I have to just do something. Um, whereas for many people, it is a journey, you know? And so that's partly why we try to um, describe it more as a journey and not just go around telling people just to forgive, but more to start a journey, take step by step, you know? And of course, the the final one is the leaving the legacy of love, you know, which I think is, I think what you're doing with your life in many ways, you know? So, um We've talked about you know the painful past you've had, um, but now you're very much someone who is committed to 
being a kind of a reconciler in the world. What? Tell me about what, what's on your heart now. Like what? What do you kind of uh, as you look at the world? What's your passion? What's your mm. vision? I think it's it's good to clarify that you know forgiveness is one of the key for me that leads can lead to reconciliation. Uh, but also, I want to say that sometimes reconciliation is not possible, mm. uh, especially because reconciliation is about rebuilding the bro- broken relationships. Mm. And it takes two parties to build relationship. Um, so for my journey of reconciliation, it's it will be a full reconcile. I will be full reconciled with people when they want me to reconcile mm. with them. But forgiveness leads me to reconciliation. And that's what I want to see happening in my generation, in my country, in people around, because we are human beings and we are made for relationships. And if relationships are broken, we need to learn different ways of really restoring them. So my work, uh, my passion is to see people living in harmony. Mm. Um, uh, living in unity and I get understanding that we will not agree on most of the things people have different opinion mm. but we can live in peace we can live we can love one another and move forward like build a nation uh, like this or build Rwanda build island northern island like in the way that really uh that is everyone has a place and feels that this is where they belong mm. and you were just yesterday or was it two days ago at a school um with about 120 schoolgirls, and um antoinette told her story and then asked for questions and i think that they could have gone on all day asking questions what were some of the questions that they were asking do you feel oh my gosh i loved the girls um yeah these these young girls were really first they were really eager to want to know Rwanda and know what happened and of course they get attached to my story why will people really want to kill you I'm like I don't know because they were they didn't know any better and uh, so they did ask me one of the interesting question did your faith help you to forgive and um which I really thought was one of the, the the clever question that they are thinking about what they believe and their faith and how can their faith help them to forgive and my answer to them was like your my relationship with God did help but even when you don't have a faith you can still forgive you know your classmates if they have um, offended you and yeah so we Actually, one forty-five minutes, one hour was not enough because they still had many questions to ask. But that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think you've said a couple of interesting things there. One is that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing, and I think often people confuse that. They think they are the same, and I think you made a good point that, that you can forgive. I mean, you can forgive someone who's dead. You know, it, it's. Um, uh, you know, you don't need their response in a way to release yourself from uh, that bitterness or f- from that kind of uh, unforgiveness somehow. But also that reconciliation does depend on the other on the other person also wanting that. And um, and I think sometimes when we talk about reconciliation, it's it is important to say that this is a beautiful thing. It's what we believe God wants in the world, but. Um, it shouldn't be held over someone's head like you must do it because sometimes it's not possible if people are not willing to enter that process. And um, and so the the first step we can do is we can love people, we can forgive. But reconciliation is is something that does depend on two parties coming together and agreeing to that process you know i th- i also think like you know what we are we are doing or what we try to do is to create this platform to show people like you need a next another party to be able to reconcile and um the, the reason why i also say that forgiveness can lead to reconciliation 
which is also the story you will read in the book if you can. It's when I felt to go and see the uncle who killed my aunt in the prison. And it wasn't only to forgive him, but it was also because I want to to open that conversation for him to reconcile if he wants to, to reconcile back to me and to the family, which is another journey after after we talked to him. So it's another person who have wounded you or who have offended you if they are willing and they embrace, you know, your forgiveness, they accept that you have forgiven them, you can move forward into restoring the broken relationship. So uh, I believe that what we have been learning and sharing here, it's, you know, this is possible. Mm. We, uh, we are trying to bring this platform, you know, forgiveness, it's one step, it's a journey, and it may lead you into reconciliation because someone else accepts your forgiveness. Are you ready to kind of have a platform and talk about the issues and really reconcile and and live in harmony and remain or restore those broken relationships? Mm. Um, and just kind of going back to your story again, I mean, you talked about it a little bit. I mean, when, you know, your uncle, you found out it killed your auntie and you went and visited him. Like, um, how was that process for you to be able to confront or to talk to him? And mm. uh, To give you a little bit of background. Um, so in Rwanda, we had um, the traditional court called Gachacha. Mm. So my uncle uh, was once in this traditional court where people, uh, the prisoners will come out and say what they have done. And it was found that, you know, they talked where my aunt was and his, her bones and I went to find them. Mm. And so I forgave him because of my anger and bitterness that was towards him when I was going through that traumatic journey mm. of finding my, my auntie's bone, bones and burying them. And uh, throughout of my journey, a few years later, I was like, you know, I, I wonder what goes on into this, you know, into this man's mind after killing my auntie, but also for me, wanted to express what, you know, forgiveness because of the journey I had with, um, you know, with him. And I remember sitting with him in the prison when I went to visit him uh, with two of my friends. And I told him, I forgave you and I have forgiven you. Mm. And he kept quiet. He was silent and he looked like he's not sure of what I was saying because he didn't expect that from me at that time because, you know, for how many, 23 years, I have never seen him. So seeing someone after 23 years, after you kill, you know, being in the prison, I don't know what was going on into his mind, but he was shocked to hear that from me. And so that's why I say that that opened the door. Mm. And I believe there's more coming into reconciliation part. And he did say thank you. And I am sorry I was not responsible for, you know, for my wife, who was my auntie. And if there's something I could give to someone is that light of, you know, like, you know, you are not like you're not in bondage. I don't hold you in my life anymore, I want to let you know you are free, I have forgiven you. So if there was any gift I could give to this man, that was it. And so I I blessed him um, and I hope, I'm hoping that he will find his Mm. life Mm. and and find life as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, So we'll bring it to an end in a little while. Just just say a couple more things. I I know one of the... um, the definitions we use of reconciliation is from John Paul Lederach. He says, reconciliation is a place where truth, mercy, justice, and peace meet. Um, and, you know, I think many times people 
have one of these elements or a couple, you know, um, but it kind of needs the whole package somehow. And justice is one of the things also. Um, and But of course, the traditional model of justice, we think certainly in the West is retributive justice. You know, it means someone has to suffer. But of course, we know that doesn't actually help anyone, you know, that doesn't bring anyone back from the dead. And so there is this growing movement called retributive called restorative justice um and i suppose that's a little bit what Gekacha, the Gekacha courts were about is bringing the truth into the open so it's truth um but it's a, and it's allowing some kind of justice to happen uh, for some of them they went to prison but for some the villages they allowed them to stay um what do you kind of feel about that kind of restorative justice thing or have you seen that at work in rwanda Mm. Uh, in Rwanda does play differently in, and it depends also on a person and they, 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 what they have committed, the crime they have committed. Um, there are people who are probably going to be in the prison for 20, 35 years uh, in the prison and that will depend on what they have done. There are those who repented, who came into those traditional gachacha court and they said what they have done, they repented and they asked forgiveness and they did do something to help rebuild the nation. So they will be taught, they will be having different teachings or how you come back into the society, how do you contribute to the well-being of the country. They were helping in different projects of rebuilding the nation and they're back in the society. So uh, uh, it was done indifferently depending on the crime you you have done in Rwanda, which I think it did play well into helping rebuilding the nation, but also restoring the person into learning the, the values of the nation in general. Antoinette, I think that's that's really good. Thank you for sharing. Thank you mm. so much for sharing. Okay, so just as we end, um, I remember we had an event uh, last month called Borderlands. It's the second event we did. Um, and Jonathan Martin actually spoke at that event. Uh, but I asked uh, Antoinette to give us um, a short reflection. Partly it was the actual day we did it was the 11th of November. So over in in this country, um, in this part of the world, the 11th of November is Remembrance Day. Uh, and it's a day where in many churches they, uh, they sing the anthem and they remember people that died in the First and Second World War. Um, but I was also struck by knowing that we, in our community here, we had you, Antoinette, and your mm. husband, Eve, and you had experienced suffering in, in war, and that I didn't really want to contribute to the glorification necessarily of war. I mean, I think it can be good to remember people who died in the First World War, Second World War. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but sometimes that can almost be, it almost leads us to kind of tell ourselves that the only wars that matter to us are the wars mm. that our people fought and the only lives that are important were the lives of those people. And of course there are wars all over the world and sometimes those wars have been fought because of the acts, the actions of our of colonial Western powers. And certainly the Rwandan situation is very much partly the product of the colonialism of the Belgians and the Germans and it doesn't you don't have to go too far to find the colonialism of the English and uh, and so on that day on Remembrance Sunday uh, I asked Antoinette to share uh, a reflection on her experience um, and then we, we took a moment just to, of silence to remember Rwanda um, and for me it was very powerful and um, so I just want to thank you, Antoinette, for sharing thank you. Um, and for being here. And your husband, Eve, is a great guy. We're delighted that you have found each other. And um, we hope uh, you, uh, yeah, I, I, I can imagine seeing you all over the world sharing your story um, because it's very powerful. Mm. So maybe to finish this podcast, I just ask you to, to read out that reflection that you wrote mm. for that event on Remembrance Sunday. Yeah, um, I wrote this just two days before the Remembrance Day, which was 11th November. 
And uh, it goes like this. My understanding is that Remembrance Day is marked for this nation to remember those who fought for this country. And this is a chance for generation to reflect and understanding the marking of 100 years since the end of World War I and our continued longing for peace in the world. My personal reflection on this day is that it brings back the memories of the heroes in my life that I have lost in 1994 genocide against Tutsi in Rwanda. Any story that will be written about me will be full of sadness, stained with tears, tainted with shame and hopelessness. I definitely don't want to pass on this pain to the next generation. I want to protect them, but it's important that they know that genocide isn't only set event in history, but it's part of our day life. My husband was born in Burundi because his parents and his grandparents became refugees running away from war in Rwanda in 50s and some of them in 70s because of hatred and anger and bitterness from generations before us. Every word carries power. I believe in the power of the words. Words are like seed. When you speak something out, you give life to what you are saying. If you continue to say it, eventually that becomes a reality. I grew up in the time when Rwanda wasn't a safe place to be. The time when hatred was being planted, discrimination and insulting words were being spoken over and over. In Rwanda, Tutu were called cockroaches, and it didn't take long. This slogan used carried message what the politicians used to call Inyens to Zitemba Tembe, which means exterminate all the cockroaches. I have to say, these insulting words destroyed my confidence as a child growing up and created insecurity within me. Dehumanizing words that were spoken over the radio and the TV was taught for generation after generation. Any kind of politics where discrimination of ethnicity, religion, gender, origin, all spoken or written words from individual or community or any organization, they have huge impact in destroying community and eventually destroy the nation. I was 12 years old when my mother was killed in genocide, along with my mother, my two brothers, and more than 100 extended family members were murdered. My youngest brother was two years old at the time when he was burned together with about 50 innocent children in the village. These were children who were completely demolished. Dead March didn't end there. I saw a child in the village sucking its death mother's breast. This image hasn't left me up to this point. Many people's heads were being cut off in front of my face. As the line got shorter, I was waiting to be killed next. I survived that day. Because the killer had the news on the radio that the bank in Kigari was being robbed. Hiding in the bush that night, I saw the dead bodies being fed to the dogs. I lived like a wild animal, hiding in the bush, but always expecting to be killed at any time. I was miserable, with no food and no security. The only wish I had was to be killed and leave the misery behind. But luckily, I survived. My eyes saw what no child should see. My ears heard what no child should never hear, neither any human being. Let me remind everyone hearing me today, your word is a weapon and it has power to kill or destroy. After realizing how the power of the words have affected my life, it made me resolve to increase my capacity to speak positive words of life, to inspire the fearless generation moving to the future. Many of survivors have Many survivors haven't reached a stage of being ready to process what happened to them yet. 
which means that that the transition tran- transmission of trauma can cross into their children and to the generation after them yes i have been deeply affected by genocide but i refuse to keep silent and i invite others to keep talking about it i i have made the most important decision in my life I choose to speak forgiveness to people who killed others, even those who killed my family and innocent babies, including my youngest brother. I even spoke forgiveness to the man who killed my aunt when I visited him in the prison. In 2004, I felt though as I have just woken up from a nightmare that I have lasted for 10 years. When Kigali Genocide Memorial was being established, my first job was to gather information from the survivors. It was an emotional roller coaster moment each time I walked back and forth. I treasure my first job just like my first day at school. I have learned that to be alive is a gift, which means to be grateful. Having a day of remembrance is making sure that our beloved ones are not forgotten. This day is also a reminder of taking our responsibility, thriving to leave a good legacy behind. Our legacy is in every life that is being touched by our choices that we make today. Our words have power because they motivate our actions. David Holdway said in his book Captured Heart, that what captured your heart controls your life what controls your life determines your destiny coming face to face with the perpetrator who killed my mother i decided to forgive him not because it was easy to forgive but because the word that captured my heart was peace and motivated my action Living with unforgiveness it kills a soul and makes you unproductive. It makes it harder to think or anything else. Living with with hurt you become victimized twice. You are victimized because you are lost and you live as a victim of hate. You live a miserable life. So the words forgive is and has been a fundamental key for my freedom and also has been leading me into reconciliation and that's why I invite every one of us today that you will really go through this journey of forgiveness which may give you a way of reaching out to others as you you reconcile with them thank you so much Antoinette, thank you so much for reading that and thank you for sharing your heart with us. Thank you. Let me just take a few seconds to tell you about one way you can support the work that we're doing. Donating via patreon.com is a way to directly invest in our work. Alongside this podcast, we're seeking to produce a series of documentary films looking at redemptive stories amid the tragedy of civil wars and ethnic and religious conflicts around the world. This kind of work doesn't tend to bring in the big bucks, can I say? And at the moment, there's just a small production team making this dream become a reality. So we would love it if you would consider going to patreon.com/guardiansoftheflame and signing up to give a regular donation, which will enable us to produce more content. At our Patreon site, you'll see how you can receive bonus content from the films or podcasts in return for regular donations. We don't take this generosity lightly and we thank you for listening and being part of this project with us.